0: We are here in the 11FS office in London for episode 106 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you David Marcus makes a Senate plea, Swift goes supersonic in Singapore, and who let the dogs out? All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and joining me as always is... Colin G. Platt. How is you, Colin G. Platt? Are you near your field? Are you, uh, are you
1: warm, cold, indifferent? I wish I was in the field. It feels like I am sitting on the inside of a Bitcoin miner. It is freaking hot here.
0: It is so hot. Uh, it's hot in the UK as well. 30, 37, 38 Celsius. I don't know what that is in American money. Can you translate for our American
1: listeners? Uh, I think it's about 98 degrees.
0: Yeah, that's pretty hot. You know, like in the UK, considering it, it never gets there. So I, I feel your pain. But we have a new prime minister.
1: Yeah, Boris Johnson. The depths of hell have arrived at the streets of London.
0: It's clearly the case. That or climate change. But, you know, um, maybe the two are correlated in some way. Um, maybe Boris Johnson will make it great again.
1: I think, I think climate change is definitely fake news. Um, that's, that's no reason why this is hot at all, despite <laughs> the, the glaciers melting and all that great stuff.
0: Well, I'm sure our great and new powerful prime minister would agree with you. Um, well, I,
1: I heard that he, uh, he's going to strike a deal with climate change.
0: Yeah, Uh, I thought he was going for no deal on climate change, no deal on Bitcoin, no deal on crypto, no deal, no deal. (laughs) No DLT. (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there. And with smooth, smooth segues like that, we've got to move to the first story. Um, The first story comes from CNBC, and it couldn't be anything else really, could it? It was uh, Facebook's head of Libra Libra Crypto Project, tells Senate, It needs help from governments and regulators. Wow, really? Uh, So it seems, as always, the news broke when we were recording last week's show, hence the delay. Uh, We did cover it on one of our live stream shows called uh, Hashtag FinOnAir. So do check that out from the B-Chain Twitter handle. Um, But we never got Colin's thoughts, which are obviously the most important thoughts. Did you watch any of this uh, testimony that David Marcus gave to
1: the Senate? I watched any and all of it. To my great dismay.
0: Wow, yeah. So for, for background and context, of course, David Marcus, uh, former PayPal CEO who's been at Facebook for about three or four years, has been trying to get payments working there uh, behind the Libra project. And we covered Libra in episode 101 and 102. So if you want a background on what is it, why is it, go check out all of that good stuff. Um, since the since the kind of project got announced, the regulators and governments have reacted quite strongly, and hence this appearance in front of the Senate uh, and, of course, the House Financial Services committee the day after on Tuesday and Wednesday of last week. So uh, what do you think of some of David Marcus's comments, Colin? Because some of these quotes are pretty, pretty interesting.
1: Well, just before we go into that, I just do want to state that Simon has uh, officially trademarked Libro. If this thing ever comes out, instead of having an XRP army, you will be known as a Libro if you hold Libra.
0: Wow. (laughs) Amazing what can happen when you just mess up your speaking.
1: (laughs) Hey, you know, we do it all the time.
0: Like that meme is born.
1: That meme is born. That's how Huddle came about. Yeah, right? I was
0: gonna say. I was gonna say that's how Huddle started. So if we can, uh, Libros and uh,
1: Libroettes, Li- Librettes,
0: Librettes as well. We can we can be inclusive. Um, Libra whatever you want to be. Uh, Li-
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're very Lib.
0: L- um, let's anyhow.
1: Libra this one alone, shall we? <laughs> let, let, let's let's leave these Libros to it. Um, so okay, uh, before I get too in-depth with it. Uh, David Marcus, I I have to say, did a fantastic job at maintaining his composure uh, amongst what was, um, to put it mildly, a, a complicated and difficult thing. When somebody comes out on day one, so there was two um, committees last week. The first was with the U.S. Senate on their banking committee. And the second was with the House. um, So these are both sides of of the U.S. Congress, their House Financial Services Committee. Um, So the first one uh, on Tuesday opened with um, one of the the leaders of the Senate Banking Committee, the minority leader, um, comparing Facebook with genocide. Um, So you know you got a tough, tough crowd when you're told that your employer is committing genocide. Um, Unfortunately for him, things didn't get much better from there (laughs) During his two hours that he was speaking uh, My kind of big three takeaways were uh, A lot of people in government, surprise, surprise Do not like Facebook Uh, Especially elected officials in the United States right now um, Don't really like Facebook Strange that Um, Especially Democrats, go figure Um, Libra also really seems early Like this thing is super green um, And they got to iron out a lot of things Um, And I'll come back to that point The third is Setting up in Geneva was probably a massive, massive mistake for Libra and could, uh, it's got so many other problems, but it, it could really prove fatal. Um, my favorite quote came from Ben Munster at though. His takeaway was, how can we be sure this incipient digital currency, alternative financial system, systemic risk won't lead us to the downfall of Western civilization? He wrote this on the back of that Tuesday committee. Now, day two. <laughs> we're only on day one here.
0: Wow. I mean, it, it's not struggled for attention from regulators. Um, I mean, some of the senators have done their homework, and there were, whilst there were some really serious points about the risks, especially from the Democratic side of the House, there were one or two Republicans who said we shouldn't stand in the way of innovation, and the opportunity for financial inclusion um, that, that that Libra points to is, is really, really significant. Uh, and that, that, I think, was, that balance was in there, but it, it that definitely, wasn't the mood music coming from them.
1: So, so I think you're, you're looking forward to day two here. So this is the House Financial Services Committee. Agree. Again, they came in with, with quite a tough thing. Um, in addition to being accused of genocide, they were also um, accused of being worse than 9-11, which uh, in the United States is, is quite a politically charged statement to make um, for those listening to the United States um, and elsewhere probably would understand that. But, um, I, they There were a lot of Republicans, especially on day two in the House uh, committee, that did come out and say, look, we don't want to stand in the way of innovation. Of course, Maxine Waters, who was the majority representative, um, the Democrat running financial services committee, uh, did come out and say uh, initially when they set this thing up that they did want everything to stop at Facebook on Libra until they could understand this. Uh, I don't know if that's actually been met up, um, but... The other things that I I thought were really interesting from that Wednesday thing, uh, the Wednesday committee was uh, the levels of censorship that could happen on Libra. So surprise, surprise, a lot of the Republicans who were big champions of innovation, in their own words, have also pointed out that a lot of um, conservative members have seemingly Been censored on the likes of Facebook and Twitter and elsewhere. And they're worried about something similar happening on Libra, which is uh, a big concern that I don't know that David Marcus was able to allay for them, uh, which brought up some very, very tough uh, follow-on questions. Things like foreign exchange credit risks um, with Libra Reserve, which is something that I've talked about in depth. um, They had a hard time kind of grasping what Libra's plan was. What regulatory frameworks? Uh, David Marcus kept repeating, um, I want to hear from you what you think um which is which seemed very uh amateur uh at the level that he was at that they didn't have more of a view but of course uh, he wanted to keep it quite open and he did get pinned down several times on the swiss aspect um and then what i thought was a really interesting thing was um the impact on aml laws and the fact that he really kind of went down this road that uh, libra is not being designed in a very privacy efficient way uh and it's very censorship um prone uh potentially Especially with the Facebook layering of Calibra on, which could be anti-competitive. And
0: just so, as a reminder, Calibra is the wallet, Libra is the network. Um, yes. So, and so, uh, Calibra is the wallet, and I th- one or two interesting things came out. Like, for instance, uh, you will only be able to use uh, WhatsApp, Facebook, and Instagram with Calibra. You could not use WhatsApp, Facebook, and Instagram. He didn't networks. commit
1: either way, so we don't know. I, that's that would be an assumption. I think would probably be a fair assumption, but we don't know either way for certain. Oh,
0: so I, I thought. I'd I'd seen in the comments um, and the summary since that that was the case.
1: He was very wriggly on that point. Um, he was pressed repeatedly, uh, but,
0: and yeah. that's kind of the issue, isn't it? Is is, is how wriggly they 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 came across. I mean, it was it was uh, as you say. I think uh, widely regarded as a as a phenomenal performance, very composed performance, especially compared to um, Mark Zuckerberg, who was kind of a little bit more under pressure and didn't come across particularly human in in, in his. Um, but there was no sound bite like Senator, we run ads in this one. It seemed to be a lot more like serious questions were asked and in response there were a lot of like uh, placeholder answers and you know the, the the depth of homework hasn't been done and the response that like help us figure this out is, is not being really widely accepted by the policy and regulatory community
1: well it's as I said I mean the stuff's so young and I think that that was one of the takeaways um, and, and the other one that I thought was really interesting is despite the fact of, of it being very young and it been commonly understood. It doesn't seem like Marcus really was able to um, relent on the point. And my takeaway was that Libra, in his opinion, will launch when they get things right, not if they get them right. Um, And and he was challenged multiple times, especially in the House committee, uh, on this exact point, people saying, you won't do this until you're ready, right? And him saying, we'll do this when we're ready. Um, And he wouldn't take any, uh, we'll do trial pilots here and there. So, I mean... uh, it it's I think going to be pushed to the point where the government either takes action or lets it happen.
0: Wow, um, I mean, this is this is like. Theatrics of the highest order, isn't it? This is this is uh, full on. Like you're already in the eyes of government for uh, fake news, data privacy. You are the pariah of you know, the the politicians and the regulators for those reasons. Then you go. You, you combine what was the political scary clown of you know, data and Facebook with the political spider, which is crypto, and now you've got. Scary clowns that morph into spiders, and your two worst nightmares just came together all in one. And like, they they just seem to be like, yeah, the scary clown spider thing. We're we're absolutely going to do it. Um, and people are going, you sure you don't want to take your time about that? Seems like you need to figure stuff out a little bit more. It's like, no, no. Right, when we're ready, we're going to do the scary clown spider thing. And it's like, wow, okay, that's that's something.
1: Yeah, it it kind of feels like we're handing like a drunk teenager keys to Ferrari.
0: Yeah, it, and and that's scary. Uh, if you're the policymakers and the regulators, because what what sort of actions could they take if they were to take action? Because you know you, your sort of uh, hypothesis there that either they'll let them do it or they'll have to do something. What would do something even be?
1: Well, the House Committee actually literally put out the wording of a um, a proposed. Uh, it's a it's not even a bill at this point. A proposed discussion. Uh, Bill, I'm not sure what the technical term is. It probably Bill in there. Um, But a discussion piece about uh, actually banning companies over a certain size within social media from creating uh, private currencies. Um, At at the penalty of charging them a million dollars a day if they decide to break that. I I would imagine if that goes ahead, it gets tightened up so that Libra Association uh, would get tied into that and they couldn't just divest themselves of Calibra and then keep going on things as they would um but uh yeah a uh, million dollars a day is a, is a pretty hefty fine even for a big company like Facebook
0: well they just ate that 5 billion dollar fine and uh their share price went up because people thought that was quite small the market reacted by shares going up because they they thought the 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 uh, the, the 5 billion dollar fine for the Cambridge Analytica breach could have been worse uh so like they they're going to need a monster number to slow them down on this stuff like if you're doing $16 billion in profit per quarter, uh, sorry, $16 billion in revenue per quarter, my apologies. So
1: here, here's the tricky thing, is the other thing that they could pretty easily do is is say, if you want to do this activity, you need to be licensed as a bank. And one of the panelists that came on in the House Committee, so this was a seven-hour event. Um, the second uh, round of this were people like Milton Demers, um, and also uh, several academics, uh, as well as f- uh, former um, commissioner at the CFTC, Gary Gensler, uh, one of the points that came out of this specifically was, you know, uh, if you, uh, and it was from Chris, uh, Dr. Chris Brummer, if I believe, um, if you looked at this and said it needed to get a banking license or Facebook needed to get a banking license uh, de novo in the U.S., actually from scratch, uh, there is a good chance that they probably would not be able to get that license and pass the character test. Um, so... Uh, a breach of creating the money and getting a million dollars a day is one thing. Um, running an unregulated bank from Switzerland that serves u s. clients could probably dwarf that five billion dollar fine if if we look at you know uh, what's been done in the past. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you look at the size of the fines that some of the banks got post financial crisis, and then you add Facebook scary clown spider to it, then uh, then you're really onto something. Um, yeah, so- and that's
1: that's just in the United States. I mean, strap on what Europe and Japan could do as well, plus a number of other countries, including um, India, who's decided we'll talk about later. They might even put you in jail for it.
0: Well, let's let's see what happens. Um, what do you think the reaction in the banks to a lot of the last week's events has been? Is it sort of a "see, I told you so"?
1: Mm, I, I think there's probably a lot of I see I told you so a lot of people that didn't really follow it that closely because it is so early, um, but uh, I, I think the it, it's a continuation of what we've seen before. Uh, the fact that this is doing a lot of the dirty work for the entire industry and helping to flesh out some of those points to differentiate what is Bitcoin, what is something in between, and what is a Libra or a stablecoin. Um, and how do all those things fit together? What does that mean for us as an industry? So a lot of the bankers that I've spoken with have that have paid attention um, are are actually quite upbeat on their own projects as uh, in relation to the government action. but at the same time, I think the the clock is ticking quicker.
0: yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It's like those those uh, more regulatory aware projects that are innovative and that could solve real problems in the financial system suddenly become g- genuine alternatives to that Facebook thing. So they would they would get momentum and they would get attention. But actually because of that increased pressure, you've got to execute and you've got to deliver. Um, and it's not just slideware and innovation team stuff like you've got to get this get this stuff done really.
1: Somebody somebody put that in a very interesting way to me last week. They said, "Well, you know, imagine rather than it being Facebook and Libra, it was um, J.P. Morgan Coin that was going for something that looked similar to the design of Libra and had similar aims." Do you think that the government and the public community would be more or less favorable towards J.P. Morgan Libra than Facebook Libra? And I thought that was an interesting question.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's one to reflect on, especially post-financial crisis, right? Are we uh, are we post-social media crisis right now? Have we been through a data confidence crisis? And we're, we're not aware, you know, that historians will look back on that Cambridge Analytica moment as being the day the data economy really changed. And it was the first data economy crisis because public perception is is really, really powerful. And regulation is just public perception, you know, Hopefully, guided towards legislation and 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 kind of enforcement. So, if that's the case, uh, yeah, really interesting question. Like as you sit and think about it, J.P. Morgan suddenly doesn't seem like that bad of an idea.
1: Remember when J.P. Morgan coin came out? I mean, it has different aims that are much more restricted than what Libra is going for. Um, But people, more or less, uh, there was a lot of "I told you so"s. But other than that, nobody kind of said, "Oh, this is this is dark doom." Like people are kind of like. Yeah, they're coming around to it, and that's that's it. So better late than never, I think, was the overall uh, writing opinion for people in the community. Of course, it didn't get to the level of government opining on it. I do think that at some point uh, it will if we get to a point where banks are trying to launch anything that goes to retail public. But you know, people, I think, would rather keep scary things in their own buckets. And the idea of having mortgage crisis, uh, bankery coin run by governments and scripts coming in from one angle – ideally not from the same people that have now like given all of your data away.
0: I think it's something interesting about like uh, that. There used to be studies about five, six years ago, and, and even until recently, it's like, who do you trust to Do your financial services, and it was uh, like the the likes of the banks would obviously come top. But then some of your big techs, like Google and Amazon, would especially Amazon, would be right up there as being somebody that could provide financial services in the in the surveys of consumers. I think Facebook are probably at the opposite end of that spectrum now. Uh, Who do you trust with your data, Uh, the banks or Facebook? who do you trust with your money, the banks or Facebook? Mm-hmm. So it's like in spite of their flaws, they do have this weird thing called trust because you trust them to kind of do their best to protect you and you trust them to not lose your money and try and make you good, even though you probably don't trust them to be have all of your best interests at heart and to not be thieving bastards who are trying to make every. Penny they can for themselves, like they're trying to make money. But actually, because they've got that commercial incentive, then maybe they're going to do do right by me in spite of themselves.
1: Well, and remember the the backlash against Wells Fargo that was creating uh, new accounts for people uh, and creating people as a result. They got a lot of pushback from the average citizen. Uh, and I think the other reflection I, I would have here is it's culturally dependent. I think that um, you know, sitting in in Western Europe or in North America. We can opine about who we prefer and who we trust more to have as a bank uh, or with our money. A lot of people don't have that luxury. Um, And I think at the end of the day, they want something that works. Uh, And whoever brings it to them, I think they're willing to sacrifice quite a bit to get something that's better than maybe what they have today.
0: And we saw this with mobile money across Africa in the past couple of decades. And the number of people that have actually genuinely been financially included and the number of uh, kind of projects and organizations that have uh, kind of been built around that and the economies that have been transformed as a result. What you see in a lot of countries like uh, Kenya, Ghana, uh, Uganda, where they have uh, really significant mobile money presences is the regulation kind of adapted to work with uh, mobile network operators. They created a license type. They amended their KYC AML rules to work with mobile network operators where they didn't have a banking license but they had an equivalent to a money service business or, a, or an e-money license for those markets. And you know, could we see where this solves a real problem for people uh, it go? Uh, it's going to be an interesting one to see if anybody adopts this and, and moves forward with it. And that concept of uh, who will provide it becomes that
1: killer question for us. I'd just love to see like more of these solutions come from people that are on the ground in those places and understand the common issues rather than somebody in Silicon Valley deciding we're going to create the global solution
0: yeah I wonder though is there something about uh, creating the platform and the framework and then how do you how do you create the stripe.com of financial inclusion like if, if I've got the if I've got the platform can I give you the tool sets for you to build the last mile yourself like what's the basic you um, uh, like Raspberry Pi version of, of solving your own uh, market problem that allows you to very quickly put together the pieces you need to build a proposition for your market in the last mile, but that actually relies on infrastructure uh, that, that allows you to do some of the hardest stuff and abstracts that away from you. We've seen that with platform businesses a number of times. Maybe there's something in that concept.
1: How well have those platforms performed in, uh, let's say, less financially developed markets, though?
0: Uh, traditionally, poorly because they're abstractions on the uh, existing financial infrastructure. So Stripe.com sits as a layer on top of the American ACH or the card rails in Europe and the US, or uh, and so on. But actually, by saying you get that abst- that developer abstraction, and then you get it in an emerging market and also you're not plugging into those uh, Western rails that are extremely expensive to own, operate and and interact with and also have a high regulatory burden, what you're really getting is just a toolkit that allows you to make payments for anybody on this 2 billion uh, person platform. And all you have to do is find a way to cash in and cash out. that's a well-known behaviour. Then that could be really powerful. So uh, the, the platforms would do well if you speak to the likes of the Gates Foundation, for instance, or SIGAP, um, uh, the the uh, the group for uh, action against uh, poverty uh, from the World Bank. They will tell you that the the dream in sub-Saharan Africa for some time has been the stripe for Africa, you know, in in air quotes. So. Th- If this were to move in that direction, you'd really have something. In fact, the Gates Foundation has a project called Moja Loop, uh, which uses the Interledger protocol as a way of connecting up different uh, mobile money uh, services across sub-Saharan Africa and indeed globally. And that's something they're actively working with governments to help lobby uh, for changes in regulation and legislation to allow this interoperable network of mobile money issuers, but actually that works where mobile money works for you. If mobile money doesn't work for you because the costs are prohibitive or you cannot get to an agent, then maybe this creates another alternative. Yeah, I and just, by this, I mean Libra.
1: Yeah, I, I just think that there's there's so many other things that we glance over, and, and David Marcus's repeated assistance of you can plug in this thing with a $40 uh, mobile phone, that may represent somebody's entire month's salary to buy that phone, and that's not even talking about airtime, which in these countries where they are less developed uh, will probably run up until an entire month's salary on its own just running this stuff. So I, I don't know. Like I've traveled fairly extensively in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, what has always astonished me is the underlying infrastructure and you know, being able to go to ATMs in Malawi seven years ago and use your, not me, but locals being able to use their thumbprint instead of an ATM card was kind of cool. Um, and if you look at things like um, there's a company, uh, a friend that that's running that in Cambodia, to create a blockchain payment system with the Central Bank of Cambodia. Um, we were talking about this actually in the, the 11FS Slack this morning. Somebody sent a picture from Cambodia of like 20 different ATMs next to each other. Um, and I pointed out after having speaking spoken with my friend about this, there's no inner ATM uh, network that crosses all banks. So like in the UK or in the US, you just go use your Visa card at whichever ATM in Cambodia, that doesn't work, and it's a dual currency system. You have dollars as well as you have uh, local reals. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, and there will be stuff that happens locally and will grow out of that. And some of those infrastructure things could eventually adapt themselves to creating some e-money payment system that works on mobile, a la m a la Libra, whatever. I just think it's more interesting when somebody faces the on-the-ground realities Uh, and works within those constraints, which maybe can be extrapolated across borders. But even as M-Pesa has shown, it hasn't really gotten much traction outside of Kenya um, for very uh, interesting uh, reasons.
0: uh, Yeah, um, uh, but uh, other mobile uh, money services have gotten traction outside of Kenya. Uh, Sure. I take your point. The issue is solve a customer problem, solve a problem for the person in the market. Uh, the platform's fine, but actually how enabled are people and what's the reality here and what's the support structure look like? Listen, I'm going to move us to the next story. And this one comes from R3.com. Um, this is all about the digital asset working group or the lovingly titled Dog. Um So uh, R3 conducted a bunch of research that culminated in what is frankly a, a great report. And I think... Colin, you know a little bit more about this one than me. So do you want to give us an overview?
1: I think I've heard of it once or twice. Uh, So this was a working group that I helped uh, R3 with uh, for about six months, starting late last year. And we had about 40 banks uh, from around the world, uh, banks and other financial institutions join us. Um, And thank you very much to all of them that are listening to this uh, for your input on that. And we just got to publish all of our kind of output and results of that. Um, Some of the really interesting things that came from banks was that they did think that this stuff was going to come. And this is remind you, before Libra, uh, a lot of them think that these developments uh, and digital assets specifically, which I'll come back on to, will happen in the next one to five years, which is great. That's optimistic. Um, we really kind of, rather than taking the look of everybody saying, okay, blockchains are great, uh, or DLT are great for meshing up systems and making sure that everything reconciles, which is, okay, great. Um, But looking actually at the token part, um, so this was the extrapolation that we did um, and and found quite interesting. So be it something that looks like an ERC-20 token inside of Ethereum or a cryptocurrency itself, like Ether or Bitcoin, or um, securities tokens. And we're trying to kind of drill down on what are these different types of envelopes that you put assets in? Uh, How do they function? Where do they fit into the stack? Uh, Where's the benefit? And Rather than and Simon, you could probably recall this back in 2014, 2015 when we were looking at this stuff at banks. Um, everybody was talking about cost savings. Um, with tokens, it's it's sexier because people talk about revenue uplift. Um, rather than replacing something, it's let's do something new. Um, and that's maybe a harder sell to make, but at the end of the day, is an easier thing to actually invest in. People were still really on the fence about this, and it kind of like uh, it will include a lot of uh, new uh, investment. And people weren't really sure that that uh, investment will be outweighed by this new stuff coming in. But it's still quite early to tell. Um, but I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And, and I really thank R3 and the, the team for letting us kind of go wild on these things um, and, and look at new ways of doing these things.
0: I think there's something to be said for against the context of, uh, I think, David Marcus looking quite, as you put it, amateurish, um, but composed, frankly, in front of the Senate, Uh, and also against that real searching question about how do you feel about JP Morgan coin all of a sudden after Libra? Uh, to have a bunch of people who really, really understand the market look at tokens and still go, actually, there's a revenue opportunity here. We're held back by regulatory uncertainty. We, we just don't know if we can make these things fit regulation. It's also still super early. But I love this point about the, uh, the most powerful forces for a market advancement are digital first exchanges and new models of custody. Do you want to just describe what a digital-first exchange is and what a new model for custody is.
1: Yeah, so I guess the the long, long history uh, made into a couple of quick sentences is um, exchanges, the businesses like uh, New York Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, and the rest of them, um, in various asset classes, grew out of the notion of um, originally coffee shops, where people would get together and they would exchange uh, commodities amongst themselves. So Simon would buy uh, bushels of wheat from me that would be delivered on a boat. And then that would go back to a clearinghouse. If we look at the, the notion of how tokens work now, um, kind of that network for delivery and assurance of, of delivery is kind of built first. And then we had to figure out how to move these things. Um, so what we've seen is on top of these digital assets, we have um, new businesses, cryptocurrency exchanges, most notably, kind of uh, evolve to take care of maintenance and, and marketplace activity for them. And they're seen as being much more efficient if you look on a revenue basis of the amount of money these things make. And bear in mind lots and lots of caveats when you compare this with a, a traditional established market player. Um, but something like a Binance uh, earns tons of money, at, what was it, 120 120 million last quarter, uh, which is a fantastic amount of money for a company that's got, what, 100 people working there, 200 people? It's quite a small company um, on in that scheme of things. Um, but how could we kind of take this, take this uh, idea of saying, well, if you're building everything from scratch, uh, how would you design it? And that was something where a lot of people saw um, more revenue uplift opportunity compared to the cost needed to actually put it in place. And
0: I think on that point, it's something we talk about with clients a lot at 11FS, which is pulling it back to first principles and understanding what, what's, what are these people trying to achieve here? And then what are, the, what are the technology opportunities I have to be able to solve for them? Like, and, and actually, rather than just trying to make a better exchange, a cheaper exchange, a faster exchange, which is where you saw the cost-saving piece, if you look at what tokens can do and if you look at Binance and you say, right, if we did that w- with all of our regulatory knowledge and all of our knowledge of assets, where would we end up? I think it's an interesting place to to really play around with. I mean, I, I, I'll i freely admit, Colin, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I know of the work of the Digital Asset Working Group, um, and I know uh, of some of the stuff that led to this. So um, it's on my reading list, and I'll definitely respond to it more formally. You know I do this as well. You know I read something. I know something. you do this. <laughs> uh,
1: Everybody else is going to read it with you. So I expect your tweet to come out about it as you read through it. <laughs>
0: No, no, I, and I genuinely will. It's on my backlog of yeah. stuff to read. So uh, where, would, where would I go to find it if I want R3. to find
1: it? R3.com. Um, you can also go to their Twitter account, which we shill all the time, at inside underscore R3. Uh, and they posted up a couple of things, and I think you can find, uh, find it on David Nichols' site as well.
0: I think that sort of counts for a big show for them, but I'll just remind you that also this episode is brought to you by R3. That was, the previous story was not connected to that in any way. So now I'm <laughs> going to do the ad read, which is brought to you by R3. We're going to be so uh, happy about costs- how
1: much we talk about him this week.
0: Yeah, no, well, you know, get in the news. We talk about you. That's that's editorial versus running an ad, different things. Um, All right, so, of course, uh, it's been a big year for our three, the enterprise software firm behind Corda. Not only do they have the dog now, they have... uh, Corda becoming a gold standard in enterprise blockchain technology because it's an out-of-the-box solution uh, built specifically for businesses that come in two versions, of course, open source and enterprise. Uh, You can get started on Corda open source and easily migrate to enterprise as your business and requirements evolve. Uh, The Corda platform offers truly the best of both worlds and is backed by a vibrant community of over 200 application builders and consumers. You can download Corda open source on GitHub today or visit r3.com to download Corda enterprise on a trial basis. All right, on with the show. Um, Story now comes from swift.com, and Swift have seen some success with their global instant cross-border payments with Singapore's fast, Swift and fast. Wow, this must be like, what's next, greased lightning? So the fastest payment in the trial uh, from Australia to Singapore uh, processed uh, took 13 seconds. Um, so the uh, payment into the Asia Pacific from Europe took only 15 seconds and from North America took 20 seconds. All payments were processed end to end in 25 seconds and 11 banks initiated those cross-border payments into Singapore and six banks in Singapore processed payments domestically within the FAST system. So, interesting that... Uh, uh, there's real movement from Swift here uh, towards kind of something that's going to be a little bit better, a little bit faster. Uh, how uh, how did you react to this one?
1: Uh, I, I immediately went out and shorted all the XRP I could find. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I think it's funny that they say, you know, from this geography to this geography it takes this amount of seconds. I can't imagine that the email that one company sent in a Swift format uh, during the test from... Uh, San Francisco to Singapore took longer, really, like by that amount of seconds than the one between Singapore and Australia. Uh, So I think that's quite funny, but...
0: I I think what's important here is this all runs on the back of either pilot or production, Mm. faster payments infrastructure. So in the UK, in Australia, in Singapore, uh, we have the ability to send money between bank accounts in seconds, if if that. So uh, unlike the US where you probably still have to send a check or use Venmo or Zelle, uh, in the UK and in France, I believe as well, you can uh, use your, you can just take somebody's uh, equivalent to their account number and their routing number and just bang, you can just fire money directly them from your mobile banking, from your online banking. That's kind of common. Is this like one of those
1: t-shirt cannons, Simon's firing money at people? I just hold up my account Uh, and Simon uh, fires money at me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you you can have uh, one pen sterling, which uh, as of our new prime minister is worth even more (laughs) or not.
1: Um, You guys are going to move away from the pound and everybody's going to be trading red buses. I thought that that was good, or at least model red buses.
0: I think that's a currency that they could trade on this infrastructure. Um, so what? So, Australia has its new payments platform, and uh, Europe is looking their target instant payment settlement system, so TIPS, um, and together the new payment system and TIPS were able to move instant settlements when you combined it with Swift's GPI. So uh, this is like payment system to payment system. So, uh, then connecting via GPI. It's an interesting abstraction, right? So historically, what you would have seen is a bank connects to their local clearing or they connect to SWIFT. This is a bank connecting to local clearing and then onward to SWIFT by the looks of how their press release reads. So are these payment systems uh, actually helping things move faster around the world? um, And is local clearing the way forward? There's a lot of quotes from a lot of banks in this article. Uh, Interesting one to to look at. I'm just
1: looking forward to launching tips token uh, for our European investors.
0: Uh, aside from your tips token, <laughs> uh, I guess the reason we're discussing this is if crypto is seen as borderless payments, like this is pretty fast borderless payments, and I'm guessing pretty cheap is because it you know, faster payments cost almost nothing. I mean, uh, do you see, I guess going back to the, the dog argument, is, there, is the issue around payments for you or is the issue somewhere else and the opportunity around payments? I've
1: always right? said that blockchain suck at payments. And I still maintain yeah. blockchain socket payments. Um, look, yeah. At the end of the day, you're just moving credits amongst financial institutions, which tie back to a central bank. Um, and unless you get rid of all of that infrastructure uh, and pay a much higher price to to process outside of that system, um, which is structurally there, it's not just there because you know we're building out technology, um, it's going to cost more. And as these things feel any pressure at all, from the outside world, which doesn't necessarily require a blockchain, it requires things like Zelle and and Stripe and all that other great stuff, Um, that will also push down. Um, So what I thought was really interesting was um, uh, in the United States, uh, actually during this Libra hearing, this exact point was brought up, you know, why are the systems so much better outside of the US? Why are they better in the UK and in Europe uh, than they are in the US? So I do suspect that even though I don't know anything about the politics, about how payment systems work in the U.S., I do expect that at least um, within the Federal Reserve, they'll probably be asked how to fix some of those problems because they were very loud and clear among Congress.
0: Yeah. Well, of course, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The US is such a different market to uh, the likes of especially Singapore, Australia, and the UK with their faster payment systems, where you have a concentrated banking market, where the top four or five banks make up 90 plus percent of the market. And so you can uh, you can get those four or five banks to adopt a standard relatively easy and, and change the market. In the US, where sure, you have a top 10 banks who still represent 60, 70% of the market. You've got a long tail of four 5,000 banks and, uh, and credit unions who all potentially have access to the existing payments infrastructure and can't move, uh, harder to move. You've got state by state regulators. It's just 100 times harder to, to get this done. And they're actually much more effective at lobbying. So they can lobby against um, moving towards faster payments uh, far, far more. And so there's a real question about, uh, you know, is there a political and a business appetite to really get it done in the US? And, and I think your point's an interesting one. Maybe Libra makes that happen. Maybe. Maybe. From cross-border payments to banning Bitcoin from newsbtc.com. It's official. The Indian government wants to ban Bitcoin. Uh, Was this a surprise to Uh, you?
1: My only surprise about this was that Pomp decided that he needed to get on an airplane and fly out to India. (laughs) 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 He tweeted about this and a bunch of other people jumped on and said, oh, let's all go to India. Uh, which I, I personally, I, I tweeted about this, I think it's hilarious um, that somebody can, in one tweet, say nothing can stop this at the second time. I need, I'm freaking out, I need to fly halfway around the world to go like lobby a government that I know nothing about, about something that I have very little understanding about. Um, so, uh, am I surprised about the reaction? No, not at all. Um, I, I do know that the Indian government for a little while now has complained about um, risks inside their country uh, evolving from cryptocurrencies. Of course, they have lots of other things that need to be considered that are very different from Western Europe, the United States, uh, about how their financial system works and um, remittances are a big chunk of their foreign, foreign reserves.
0: Well, then this is the point you made earlier about uh, it, it's not just the US government that would be looking at things like Libra. Um, given how India is looking at Bitcoin, um, the Indian government, which has a significant um, population of Facebook users, uh, will also be looking at it too quite closely.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's unfortunate that people that want to try to play with these things are going to have a harder time. Um, but people that are working for companies abroad probably still will uh, receive cryptocurrency to be able to use it and develop things. Uh, And if any of them are successful, it will be a missed opportunity. And uh, at the same time, I completely understand why the Indian government would worry about potential negative effects of cryptocurrencies. So uh, it's a tough one.
0: It's really, really hard. Outright bans seem to just make Bitcoin stronger though. So let's watch this one in the future. Um, Bloomberg.com, CFTC are actually probing the crypto exchange BitMEX over client trade. So uh, the months-long probe from the CFTC uh, is focused on whether BitMEX broke rules by allowing Americans to trade on the platform. Uh, it comes as authorities around the world step up scrutiny on largely unregulated crypto market, which has been, of course, uh, according to Bloomberg, beset by scams, accusations of price manipulation, and a collapse in value. I guess, um, the context here is the Commodities Future Trading Corporation has, uh, I guess, jurisdiction in the US over things like uh, certain types of derivative contracts, as well as commodities. Uh, Bitcoin would fall within both of those um, if you're offering a futures or a swap or an option product at, 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 on one of these exchanges and or you're offering Bitcoin. In the US, you're in the jurisdiction of the, or the purview of the CFTC. Uh, but a lot of these uh, exchanges say, well, we don't allow any U.S. clients to use our use our platform. So, and it's crypto to crypto only. And the CFTC said, "No, no, we think people are using it." Is, is, does that about summarize it, or is there something else? Uh, yeah.
1: That? So, I, I, amongst the accusations, um, so one of one of uh, two of Bitmex's protections um, were making all new users sign up to say that they are not U.S. Uh, persons, and the second is um, also banning IPs addresses from the U.S which a lot of people pointed out they could get around with a VPN. Um, I, I, I know Arthur Hayes, who runs that. Um, I, I think that he's trying to at least run a clean business. And a lot of there has been a lot of accusations. I don't know if they're valid or not, um, but he seems to, you know, be running a successful business and hopefully at the end of the day, everybody gets everything sorted out and nobody's breaking the rules.
0: Fingers crossed. I mean, uh, as you said earlier, with Binance being a tremendously successful business, being a digitally native exchange and, and kind of digital only in how it does its operations to a certain degree, BitMEX is another one where we can be learning a lot from them. And you know, if they are genuinely struggling to keep some, People off their platform via VPNs. They wouldn't be alone in that. Like VPNs are kind of hard to manage. Uh, this is something that would be true of banks. This would be true of Netflix, right? So um, the the ability to prevent people using via VPNs isn't very sophisticated. And um, having somebody come after you for that seems seems like an odd one. Well, yeah.
1: I mean, that's uh, all. Internet companies will face this uh, potential cross border issue of VPNs, and uh, we'll see how the U.S. government deals with that, and the, potentially the court systems.
0: We will. All right, stories we didn't have time to cover. Um, first one from CoinDesk: Diana, a blockchain lunar registry, attempts to tokenize the moon. Uh, wow, that's headline of the year. Um, when moon tokenize it um, with Diana?
1: Insta Moon. Instamoon. Initial moon offering. Initial moon offerings. Wow. Such a money grab. I hope this thing fails miserably.
0: (laughs) Theblockcrypto.com. Zcash experiences its first friendly fork, Ycash. Uh, Interesting one. Go look into that if you're interested in privacy and all things uh, peer-to-peer money in cash. Um... ASROM.com, ASROMA are proud to welcome uh, Sokios.com on board as the club's latest partner as the club launched their official fan token. I wonder if producer Patrick put this one in by chance. Um, trustnodes.com, Google searches for shitcoin. Well,
1: hold on, I don't understand any of that. Can you explain nope. that to me?
0: Uh, trustnodes.com, I, <laughs> Google searches for shitcoin skyrocket. Um, <laughs> which is phenomenal because I think that was mentioned uh, by the one and only Meltem was at the uh, Senate hearings.
1: Uh, she was asked this question by a congressman. He said, Meltem, are you familiar with the term shitcoin? Wow. So it's in the congressional record now. Wow. As is Zuckbox. We, we've done that well. That's amazing. This is winning. This is way cooler than any stupid football clubs trying to put any stupid tokens on it. So sorry, Petret, but this is one we should have covered in more depth. shitcoin, congressional record. Uh,
0: coindesk.com, Tron find, uh Justin Sun postpones lunch with
1: Warren Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, back up. Why? Don't know. Do you know why? <laughs> apparently because of kidney stones. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, later, later, there's a bunch of rumors that came out um, right after this story came out today, um, apparently saying that uh, the Chinese government has detained him. So uh, hopefully he gets it sorted
0: out. Cool. All right, uh, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. And Tweet of the Week this week comes from, well, it's me um, being intentionally provocative. Um, This was uh, myself at S.Y. Taylor. This is getting very Inception. Um, It's a tweet on a podcast with me. Anyway, I'll read it.
1: Is, is Petrit's uh, annual review coming up?
0: No, I think he just liked the fact that... I, so Nathaniel Whitmore, NLW on Twitter, included me on his long read Sunday as being like the only positive tweet he saw about Libra. And actually, that was sort of my intention. So anyway, let me read this out and explain what I meant by it. But like, that was kind of the point. Uh, I'm beginning to think I'm one of the very few who thinks Libra is genuinely exciting. My case for the contrarian is uh, big tech is aiming to combine internet style governance with decentralized tech, interesting. Um, as designed, it's privacy first. As designed, I'll come back to. And its boldness may force others to act. There's no doubting there's a long way to go in terms of its economics um, and to convince people of its genuine privacy and for it to be ready for scale. But seemingly everyone, when seemingly everybody hates this thing, it makes you wonder. Colin, did I get you up with this one?
1: Uh, I, I, look, I would I just challenge the assumption that privacy is even a consideration in this thing, A. Um, and I, I do have a question of what you mean about this uh, internet-style governance with decentralized tech. It's fun to debate Tweet of the Week with the person that wrote it. Yeah, no, it is.
0: Like uh, I think everybody else that's ever done Tweet of the Week should get this opportunity to explain what they meant because 280 characters is hard. So basically, um, I was looking at things like ICANN and W3C, and if you go back to the early days of the internet, there was a way in which people recognized the limitations of decentralization with human governance. And the way in which they set up these foundations to look after things Things like uh, how domain names and, and DNSs are assigned, or how you know, and how the ICANN registry works—all of those sorts of things—I think have inspired what Libra has has sort of become from a governance model standpoint. Now, that made me think as well. So, you could probably have done this in the U.S. Then. So, like going to Geneva was probably a bit of a, a bit of a strange step, as you say. But like the idea that there was something that has been proven to be effective in human governance historically, that helped us build core founding tenants and platforms of the internet that could then be used as a model for building something, a new type of platform. That was an interesting concept to me.
1: Okay, I have a question for you. Uh, You you cite ICANN. Who founded ICANN? Who who literally were the people that were sitting on the the board of ICANN?
0: Uh, there's uh, my understanding is the early founders uh, were guys like John Postel, um, Vint Cerf, old Tim Berners-Lee. It was like the great and the good of the internet founders initially, and then they brought in other organizations.
1: So like academics and people that had built the technology early yeah. on, right? So so I challenge this assumption because of the fact that like the founders of this are big companies that stand to massively profit off of it and have massively profited on what leads up to it. So... I, I get where you're coming from, but to me it looks more like the UN than it does like ICANN. I mean, look, the UN is setting up kind of global uh, principles and regulations, right? But it's, it's set up and principally run um, disproportionately by the most powerful governments on the planet, right?
0: Yeah, fair.
1: Okay, so we're talking about companies like Facebook, uh, companies like Visa and MasterCard, who are coming in talking about, or PayPal talking about the futures of payments on a global level. I, I think it's just an ex, uh, a leverage and a scaling up of their, their own power into a new business. Um, I, I I don't know that I would call this thing the same thing as an ICANN.
0: Maybe. I, I think that's a fair criticism and I actually agree with you. I guess where I was going for was more how the thing ends up getting governed and the function it serves in the early days of the internet. So my point's slightly obtuse. Uh, it's not a direct like for like comparison. Um, so I, th- I think your, your criticism really makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I guess the academic point. Don't forget, of course, Facebook did bring in. I think it was five Imperial College or University College London uh, kind of former academics to help them build out the platform. Uh, a lot of which Libra is based on. So the, I think there is an academic swathe there that we shouldn't be uh, dismissing out of hand. But the, also the the first twenty twenty eight companies that are involved in the Libra Foundation. Of those, you know, how many of those really knew what they were signing up for and how many of them signed up because Facebook was doing a thing? I don't know. I think there's an opportunity to get this right. And, and I, I, I guess maybe if I could state that sentence again, I would like to say that, like, this is an opportunity to do something more like I can. If we could learn from and create that style of governance that was successful in the early days of the Internet, what can we learn from that? And how can Libra become more like that? Because that would be intriguing.
1: But isn't that what Ethereum is? Isn't Ethereum Foundation probably the closest thing we have to an ICANN, where you have people who had a general kind of academic or maybe mild um, junior program experience on building something, get together and say, "Hey, let's create this new cryptocurrency." And you could also argue that maybe Bitcoin's the same. Uh,
0: I'd say, yeah, probably Ethereum's closer to that than Libra is, uh, with the exception of it not where in the world it's come from and the the sort of the Stanford style uh, kind of. Uh, pull that, that that region has uh, because it's Silicon Valley and it's big tech and it and, and that was my, my alignment and thinking there. I'd say Ethereum, if anything, reminds me more of Wikipedia in that you've got this one clear founder figurehead and around that you've got a community of people who've taken it upon themselves to build out the rest of the infrastructure. Uh, so it, it's more that model. Um, Uh, But I agree with you, probably Libra is further away from uh, what I'm trying to describe than than Ethereum is. Uh, But it also seems to have this momentum and uh, kind of this type of approach and, and group of people looking at it and doing it and trying to make it work, that just makes it that little bit different given where in the world it's coming from, the type of talent it can attract and the focus they can give to this thing versus you know something. like I fundamentally believe that people in the same room as each other find it easier to collaborate than people at distance unless you're able to successfully uh, really reduce and boil down the tasks in the way that Wikipedia has to, to different roles and segments. I think Ethereum is, is doing incredibly well at that. But maybe there's a different model in the interim that could be working for us.
1: I, I would just, I mean, if I were to compare the governance model of, of the Libra Foundation, I would compare it more closely, I think, with UN at a nation state level or, or more apt in this, uh, a Swift or a MasterCard.
0: Yeah, probably a fair
1: point. It's it's a consortium play. Yeah. And yes, they want to be open source. Swift has open standards. Um, so you call it ISO-ish. Um, but I, I don't know that I would put it in the same par as an ICANN, personally. And... And I already challenged on privacy, it just doesn't exist in the bottom level. And the only usable way to get into this thing will be through custodial wallets for 99.9% of the population. Yeah,
0: I think the, the point there was, uh, as intended, uh, the network was intended to be, I think, privacy first. The wallet, maybe not. I, I, I take your point there. Yeah,
1: but then, then we bring up the questions about, um, which David Marcus resoundingly answered, that they would have solutions for AML and they could block people off this Um, So I I, I don't know that I agree with that one. You and I have discussed it multiple times. I completely agree with point three. I think the boldness will force others to act, and I think we've started to see that. Yeah,
0: we're definitely seeing that. I think, the uh, yeah, this is one of those tweets where... uh, don't tweet at the time of day or whatever it was that I tweeted this one. Um,
1: because, <laughs> no, don't apologize. You challenged things. That's what that was. The point yeah, of it, no, right?
0: it, it was. And I think um, this is an interesting. Like, if I could redo those three bullet points instead of it's big tech style governance with decentralized tech, I'd probably say it's uh, it's an interesting bunch of people collaborating, um, and it's a model we haven't seen emerge before. Uh, There's an intent for and a need for Facebook to get better at privacy. So what will they come up with? Will they come up with anything? I think the jury's out. But the fact that they have to poke around with new business models excites me um, for for what that could mean for the real attention on privacy-preserving tech. Now, whether or not they get there or not, I think is different. And then the boldness point. So, you know, I'd modify it slightly. But it it was almost... um, Outside of the the statements themselves it's like I was looking for positives because it was such a chorus of like everybody hates this thing and I don't know that I hate it I just really think it's uh, it's very 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 early and part baked and not very well thought through and that's dangerous.
1: I, I agree. Um, but I, I also, and this may surprise you because of my my tone on it, I'm actually really positive about Libra. I don't think this Libra ever stands the chance of seeing the light of day. But I think your last point is completely hitting the point is its boldness will force others to act. And I think hopefully of all those others that act – some of them will have the budget to push it through, uh, which is something that Facebook and, and other companies have in here. And maybe they'll design something that, that works. Fingers crossed.
0: All righty. Ladies and gentlemen, just to remind you all, this podcast is, of course, brought to you by 11FS, and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services. If you want to hear more Blockchain Insider every single Thursday, do hit the subscribe button. Uh, and remember to leave us a review. Colin, where can people find out more about you?
1: On Twitter, at Colin G. Platt, in Simon's mentions, arguing with him. Hell yeah.
0: Um, and you find <laughs> me at S Y Taylor on Twitter, arguing back with Colin, um, because we're both too hot and we've got to have something to do. And by too hot, I mean temperature hot, clearly. Um, uh, big thanks to our amazing production team here at 11FS, as always. And thank you for listening. We'll have more Blockchain in next week.